0: Welcome back to Zapped to the Past and our coverage of the games that were reviewed in Issue 4 of zap 64. I am your host Adrian Mills and I am joined by my good friend and C64 aficionado, Graham Raddings. Last week we looked at our first batch of games from this issue and were amazed that Way of the Exploding Fist was not a gold medal, led to consider whether all these collect games were a product of rampant 80s consumerism by the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and felt the slow creeping hand of death with Jack Charlton's Match Fishing. If you haven't listened to last week's week's episode, then I suggest you go and do so. One last thing please to note is that there are a couple of swear words that do crop up every now and again. We're not the sweariest of podcasts, I have to say, but there is the odd little one that does slip through in the heat of the moment. It's nothing major, but if it is an issue, then obviously please be warned that the odd one will slip through. Let's get on with things. Graham? Tell us what we have to look forward to in this episode. What don't we look at in this episode? We deep dive into the fourth
1: protocol. We try and fly a Harrier jump jet. We really try and like Brian Bloodaxe. And we really, really, really try and like Jet Set Willy 2. There's the feature feature. We look at confusion. Are we defusing bombs or are we igniting bombs in that game? Who knows? There's Elidon International Tennis. And we even take a deep look at Rambo. Not the game. That's in the film and TV section. There's something for everyone. Just get stuck in and have a listen. Awesome. So... Let's get on with
0: the games. Okay, so uh, without further ado, let us get into this. And we're going to be looking at this issue's gold medal game, which is the adaptation of Frederick Forsyth's The Fourth Protocol. It's a lot of F's there. Frederick Forsyth's Fourth Protocol. Tricky to say. Okay, so what is the Fourth Protocol? So this was a book written by Frederick Forsyth uh, in the 80s, taking further writing from the headlines at the time. This is a story based around Russia wanting to break the Fourth Protocol. What the Fourth Protocol is, is an agreement between nuclear states uh, that they won't smuggle in and detonate a nuclear bomb on a foreign territory, obviously for nefarious purposes. The plot of this, book is that russia are going to do that so they're uh, piecemeal smuggling in parts of a nuclear bomb to construct and then detonate outside uh, an american air force base to obviously destabilize relationships between the uk and the us and nato in general and the game uh, sorry the book has a low level mi5 agent who slowly starts to piece together this plot from various strands and manages to thwart it spoilers sorry the book's 35 30 odd years old (laughs) the game is actually quite a clever game it's split into three acts and similar to a game we reviewed back in issue one i think it was and that was Shadowfire. this is an icon driven game so you play the as i said you play the uh, low-level mi5 someone someone who works at a desk basically who sends people out into into the world to monitor observe and follow people based on info and intel that you get from various different sources be that Telephone calls, memos, emails, or whatever they are in this time. And the whole point is that this is all set in real time over a period of days. And you kind of have to piece together and try and work out what are the good leads and what are the real leads? What are the things that you, who are the people you need to follow? How many watches do you need to put on them? What do you need, what action do you need to take if something does arise from that? And so you kind of trying to work out, you know, is the, um, is this, you kind of get messages like, oh, some woman who works in, uh, you know, the office. Is, has been seeing a foreign diplomat. You know, is is that worth following around? Do we need to follow her out, or do we need to investigate that? Some guy has just dis- disappeared. Where's he gone? You know, we need to follow that. Um, a- another guy is acting suspiciously at work or meeting with someone he maybe shouldn't do. Is is that worth looking into, or is he just you know cheating on his wife? Who, who knows? The game is quite clever in the fact that it, you know you don't know what the right way is, what the right leads are, what the what the wrong leads are, or anything like that, and you have to try and piece this together. In as days go past, knowing. Full well, the plot of the book, the plot of the game, sort of thing. As the player, you're kind of aware that you know there's serious consequences here if you don't get this right. A nuclear bomb is going to go off. But it's really hard. And this is just the first section. So the first section is you know a series of icons. You send people out. You try and follow, them to follow this stuff around. And I, I, I never managed it. Did you manage it?
1: No, absolutely not. No, I did not.
0: <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it?
1: Yes, a completely difficult. It, this wasn't just a uh, tape in a box when you bought this game. It was a. There was a whole series of stuff that it came with, like an MI5 handbook and a code wheels and it you know it came with a load of stuff so in the absence of having that stuff which i think would have really really facilitated how you played the game as well you know I felt a little bit lost i have to say but that doesn't mean to say that it isn't a great game because it is and it's I suppose it's the ultimate Puzzle solver, really. And it's told, that story is told, and you really have to, it's a real thinker, this one. You've got to really think about things. There's three parts to it, isn't there? I don't think I made it to part the second parts, and because you've got to put code in there, haven't you, to get to the next bit?
0: You can't, well, you can just play the second I did play the second part. It was the third one. you got to put the uh, code in for it. I didn't give that a look. Yeah, I looked at the second part, looked at the first part,
1: made my way around the icons, and got some of the clues. And the idea is you've got to try and sort out the, mis- the leads from the sort of the, you know, the misinformation, and, and there's a lot of that stuff in it. And I think what I need needed to be was more in the Frederick Forsyth Fourth Protocol headspace, which the which well I think just the just the extra stuff that came with this would have been it's part of the experience so you know you were buying you got quite a lot of game for your money and also you got all of the the other stuff and i think that would have helped sell it in the absence of that it just felt like i was just kind of digging around scrambling around an office trying to find stuff that said once you hit a couple of clues and you actually start to piece things and things start to happen it's just you can start to see how gradually you would fall into this game and then like you exa- as you accurately say the real worldiness of it you know the implications of the things that are happening actually do start to have an impact and You think actually i've got to get this sorted because this is going to happen if i don't I quite like that. You know, there's this. There's, there's a nice feel, and also it's. It was nice to look at and play. I find it quite easy to get into in terms of navigating around icons and windows. That's you know we take it for granted now, but this was kind of completely new at the time.
0: And the, the icons are nicely unlike Shadowfire, which I thought the icons were a bit overly graphic-y. They look nice and some nice bitmap visuals, but it was overly hard to understand some of them what they were. These were really clear. Pick up telephone, answer the telephone, call, hang up, put on hold. Really simple memo stuff. Really simple. A trash can. Oh, let's get rid of stuff. It's, it was easy to easy to read. It wasn't dissimilar to the Amiga Workbench, strangely enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you look at if you read the thing, I think exactly said that they that they based it on the Mac OS. Yeah, and I think you can you can see that sort of thing. I think it's you know early computers. It, it does look like them. Yeah. I think it, it works really, really well. I I did put I did put sort of thing. I mean, it's a it's a text adventure without the text. Yeah, but I think because it's without the text and you've got these icons and you're you're not restricted as to what you do at any one point in time, and you kind of feel really re- frustrated at times when you've got to advance the day. It's like, oh, what's something else to happen? You know, but it's like that restraint and that minimalism is actually really works in its favour because it when it, something does happen, when the little icon pops up on the on the three monitors at the bottom, you're like, oh, new information. What's that all about? Yeah. And I actually found myself I'm playing it on one screen and on the other, I had notepad open and I was making notes. So a bit like, you know, having a pen and paper back in the day sort of thing. I was making notes. Who's this? Jensen, Watson, Richardson. Who's this Warburton guy? He's got a telephone number. I need to ring it. And it is really, really good. And I got booted out of my job at about middle of July because <laughs> I didn't obviously didn't do enough made wrong choices but repeat playings you could really see yourself you know trying to work your way through this to get to that point where you'd have some inkling of what was going on because when you move into the second section it becomes a bit more open so you're actually trying to track down where the bomb is so you move outside you've got movement icons so you can actually go out into the street called taxi you know you pick up a key with your first of all sort of thing which you then open a drawer with and so there's actual interaction and what this reminded me of sort of thing this is games like labyrinth and, and then a little bit later on things like monkey island you know this is the that you know an early precursor to some of those where you're u- utilizing icons and choices and options and uh, you know things in your inventory to you I mean monkey is graphically more advanced but it's that an adventure game Without the text, well, it's 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 the natural
1: progression from text-based adventures to have an adventure with some kind of graphics. And instead of trying to do really bad graphic representations of the situations you were in or the environments you were in, a la The Hobbit, you get this. which It feels like you're in an office. You're on office computers. It looks kind of modern and businessy, and and no, and it has that vibe. So yeah, an entirely playable, albeit no, I'm now well out of thirty years out of date for the fourth protocol-y stuff. I suppose again, th- the lesson to be learned here is this: this is a Bye kind of game, really, I suppose, in many ways. Take note, James Bond, people who make James Bond games, because I know that this isn't super as exciting as an action movie, but this is a much better game about spies and intrigue and MI5 and stuff than anything that came out of that James Bond game. And I I got a lot more from this, albeit that it was graphically not animated in that way. I got a lot more from this than I did from that experience. And I felt I would probably, had I bought this back then, got a lot more value from the things that I bought because it came with a lot of stuff. So, what's
0: not to like? Yeah, I, I think this, it used the system's strength Thanks. knowing yeah. that they're going for a realism. They went for a different kind of realism. Whereas View to Achilles just, like I said, that three D stuff in Paris just looks stupid because it's just brown brick. And so this this doesn't attempt to replicate reality in any way. You know, when you get that bit where you know they say, oh, can you put some uh, security in this building? You don't see the building. You just see the sort of the layout. That's all you need. You know, is the blueprints of the building. It's like right, where do you want to put some locks? And so you can just move around it. Or the pitbats can do it. You don't need anything more. It's very clever. It's very. I really like its restrained minimalism i really did i think it, it worked well in tying in with the actual sort of cold war 80s it had the sort of a coldness to it a distance to it a sort of a frostiness that sort of was part of that era and again you know it ties in with that fear of the nuclear yeah. bombs and stuff that was prevalent as we've talked about quite a lot <laughs> strangely <laughs> enough my only caveat and I, and I i was looking at this sort of thing do i think it was gold medal material and I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's really good. I just, I just, I'm not sure whether it, I don't know. I think it's it's really, really intriguing and good and, and, and different. Well, uh, I,
1: I would argue that this has niche appeal. They they Their review in the magazine, which is, again, very evangelical for this, but their review basically says this game has something for everybody. If you like arcade games, you'll find something in this. And I'm like, actually, let's just, you know, let's put this and the other great game that's in this magazine side by side. I know they're very different. So you're comparing apples for But they use the same grading scheme for each of those games, so pound for pound Fourth mm-hmm. Protocol is doing better Fourth Protocol-y things Way of the Exponentist is doing much better fighting things one is more of an arcade game well, the other one is more of an adventure game which what makes a gold medal a gold medal what made this a gold medal for you know being better than that if you're going to compare those things but it has super high scores as well crazy high yeah, scores 98 for the thinking, music for example for the, I know there's only that bit on the title screen I didn't think it was that great and the words of one of the reviewers in Zappa that is the greatest piece of C64 music yet heard
0: I think I like its ambition I like its re- Restraint, and I like its minimalism, and I like its—it's—I its, its, really like its hmm. sort of um its conviction to what it wants to do. It is a really good adventure game, and it's
1: quite—it's—it's in, it's innovative in its own way, and it's got—it's got, it's got a, you're getting a lot of games and a lot of stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot going on in there, so I think there's a bit of a nod to the fact that this game is huge in its scope
0: and actually pulls it off so there we go we like that it is good go play it it still stands up today because of its simplicity and it it does work I think you're right you'll still find yourself with a bit of pen and paper or a notepad open if you play it which is good but you won't find it open with our next game which is Jump Jet go on Graham have at it it's a Jump Jet (laughs)
1: simulator-ish Uh, yeah, and again, you know what? Time travel, 1980s, it, the Harrier jump jet was an incredible and technical marvel, and it still is. It's amazing. The VTOL aircraft, genuinely a game changer, especially in conflicts, and it proved itself in many conflicts to be a real incredible piece of of design technology amazing to simulate that kind of technology on 8-bit doesn't work it doesn't work at this point then later on they do better simulations of things gunship and stuff like that comes on later but at this moment in time and this actually is weird because it's like it sort of lies about what it is because it doesn't look like a simulator when you first start it you've got the little aircraft and you've got the little thing but I had trouble getting it to take off I wasn't sure what I was doing I didn't last long and it had really weird music as well kind of really odd and that terrible speech yeah and the really awful speech and you know what was it don't crash Commander us. I couldn't really make it out, but I think, I think that's probably what we're saying. <laughs> which was never going to happen as far as I was concerned and you could even start it off in with layers of difficulty right so you could start off in practice mode or, but each each time I just got a kind of the same thing I just end up blowing not blowing up but just saying fail for some reason and I just got fed up with it so did you get did you actually get to take off
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I managed to uh, go flying what I did was because I couldn't work out the controls what I did was I, I basically went and watched a YouTube there's a really really funny YouTube which you actually should link to in, the, in the, maybe the show notes if we have some but some guy trying to play this <laughs> and it just does nothing but swear at it. It's really funny, but he manages to sort of convey the controls so I could pick it up from that. So you have to, when you first start off, you press, you put your flaps down, which is F. So for anyone's listening, here's your controls. You press F to put your flaps down. Then you press three, which will thrust you downwards. Then you press the minus key on your keyboard which will increase your speed, because remember the Commodore 64s are backwards. So you press the minus key, that'll increase it, and then that'll start you flying upwards. If you then press 4, I think it is, that will then, once you've taken off, you'll start flying. Don't do that, though, because what happens then, once you get to the actual flying screen, is you just fly around the ocean. Oh. Um, you press M to bring up your missiles, and every now and again a plane will appear in front of you, which you can shoot. There's two things on the radar that take forever to reach, and you can blank left and right and put your VTOL wherever you want, and that's it. No, oh. I wrote, needlessly complex and dull Harrier jump jet sim. The Harrier is one of the coolest planes ever. How do you make it dull? By making you fly really slowly over the ocean. Yeah, that'll do it. I, I get if you want to make a sim of it sort of thing, but you could have put this over land, put this somewhere, have some stuff happen, and I tried it on all the difficulty levels. The same thing happened all the time, nothing. Yeah. Uh, you have to ask yourself what's the point i didn't understand what the point of no. this was because i the, like i said planes did appear and i could shoot them from time to time so is this a fight simulator you know flight you know flight and combat simulator is it a flight sim w- what is it couldn't get my head around it i have no problem with complex controls is to do that sort of thing but once you got up it was there weren't complex controls you just banked left and right and shot yeah. stuff no fun no no nope. no no, again, it's it's one of those games, sort of thing which they think, oh, you know, this would be great at the time because people would get to fly a Harrier jump jet. Except you're not. You're not even close. No. So dull, dull and boring yeah. and pointless.
1: Which seems to be the end few words that we say on every flight <laughs> simulation we've come across so far. <laughs> So, yeah. there you go.
0: Um, yeah, if Zap to the Past has a catchphrase, it's dull, boring and <laughs> pointless. Uh, put, that, put that on the box of your <laughs> we're game. We're not, though. We're not, <laughs> we're not though. We, we might put that under, <laughs> our, under, under Zap to the Past. <laughs> Come with us. We are dull, boring
1: and yeah, pointless. There's the, uh, the, the three <laughs> names for the uh, Rice Krispies characters before they actually became Snap, gra- <laughs> snap Crackle and Pop.
0: Dull. Dull, <laughs> dull, Boring and Pointless. <laughs> oh, no one's going to buy this cereal. No one's buying that cereal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it was just called Rice. Yeah. <laughs> dull, Boring and Needs Pointless. Needs a better name. Something crispier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It, it pains me to say it, but it's better than the next game. Because our next <laughs> game we're looking at is Brian Bloodaxe. <laughs> oh, uh, right, so Brian Bloodax. It's another Manic Miner. It's another Manic Miner, flick screen. Manic Miner came out in, what, 1983? Yep. Uh, so we're two years on this. So this tries to be funny. This tries to sort of grasp some kind of Monty Python-esque yeah. humour by having some sort of strange, you know, we've taken over your Commodore title, you know, main page screen with some text, and, oh, isn't it funny, and stuff. And it's like, no, none of it is. It's just crap and boring. And I know this might sound damning, but my the humour the vi- what I've written is the humour, the visuals, the noise, the slowdown, the flickering.
1: Yeah, flickering. Oh, that flickering.
0: Oh, God, flickering sprites. You go onto a screen, and if there's more more sprites than there was in the previous one, then you're running at such a slower rate. There's no consistency in the movement. It is essentially one of those manic minor things moving around, platformers, single-colour nonsense. I've actually put this down for contender for one of the worst we've looked
1: at. Yes, it is, and it's also full price. And we played Circus Circus. This is full price. As they rightly, rightly point out in that Zap review, You could buy five Mastertronic games for this. It was awful. Absolutely. It was just awful. It's not doing manic miner any justice to produce this garbage. And I and I no. don't like games. You know, let's just, let's not start. that. Can we stop milking at this point? Let's stop milking the Monty Python teat. You know, you must because at the end of the day, that was what I think the final one was in the very early 80s, maybe even in the late 70s. And I know there's a longevity to Monty Python, but this just doesn't capture any of the Monty Python humour at all for me. It's just silly, stupid no. stuff that makes no sense. It was just a crap manic miner. No way around that. And it just tries to be funny but fails at every point. Yeah. Yeah. Crappy, flickery graphics on a Commodore 64. You have to work hard to make the graphics do that. You've got to, <laughs> you do, because it's got a graphic chip, a specific graphics chip designed to put graphics on the screen with all of the registers and settings that you could need for a graphics chip on an 8-bit computer. It's own memory banks, which you can shift around. This It's powerful. So you've got the VIC graphics chip inside a Commodore 64, very capable. No other computer had mm-hmm. that. It was the only computer that had the VIC chip. And what do you do with that? You produce something that would look crap on a Spectrum, which didn't have mm-hmm. a fixture mm, yeah of that type no, it didn't. so this was this was you know just rubbish
0: yeah it's, it's it's that thing in it. It's what we said about BC Grog. It's like somebody created a character they thought would be likable, yeah. liked. You know, we've already looked at advert Di- last week. We looked at Dynamite yeah. Dan. But this is it's just another one of those. It's like let's create something that's you know Brian Bloodaxe, Dynamite Dan, Manic Miner. This notion that if you stick two words with the same thing, it's gonna it's gonna be oh no, you know the word Bloodaxe and Brian that goes together. Then it because Life of Brian, channeling into that. It's, but no, none of this works. None of this. Brian Bloodaxe is crap. Brian Blood acts bad. Bloody bad.
1: Just... Just rubbish, just rubbish, rubbish. I'm sick of those Manic Miner games. I'm sick of them. there's Manic Miner, yeah, and that was okay because it was of its time and it's Manic Miner. Stop making them. Stop remaking them. Stop doing anything well, other than just don't stop. Stop in the tracks. Stop.
0: Well, we've got another one coming up. But so, And I've said the same about that bloody piece <laughs> of crap as well. Stop. <laughs> so we just, actually, in fact, actually, we won't say anything about the next one. We'll just recut, paste this, <laughs> yeah, just, and just, and just change, change the name, change Absolutely. the name, because we're gonna say the same. There you go, Brian Bloodaxe jump dead, No, we don't get fourth Protocol. Great. That was our. Uh, that's first part of the games. Oh God, I hate ending on bad games i'm going to start rearranging this so <laughs> let's uh, let's move on and let's look at the interesting things that were going on in film and tv for august 1985 <laughs> Welcome back. We are moving into films and TV in August 1985. So what was going on in, in, in the world of TV in our lovely four channels that we had? We've spoken about this before, so just a quick thingy. Uh, After the Bomber series continued with threads being repeated. Oh, God. Because obviously threads being repeated is really what you want. Yeah. This month is really dull. I don't know what was going on. I think everyone was outside. I think it was a nice month. (laughs) Because the only things, the interesting things, on the 5th of August, Central Television launched a new presentation package that sees its moon logo redesigned into a three-dimensional shape. Do I remember that Central TV (laughs) 3D shape. God damn it. But there, on the 13th of August, this is weird, ITV as the US intergalactic whodunit murder in space. Never heard of it. No, I don't remember this at all, but the film is shown without the ending and a competition held for viewers to identify the murderer, murderers. The film's concluding 30 minutes are shown a few weeks later with a studio of contestants eliminated one by one until the winner correctly solves the mystery and there was a prize of 10,000 pounds. That's actually quite a cool
1: idea, but was that... I know. Because ITV was regional, so I wonder if that wasn't our region. That's probably, you know... Maybe, maybe it was on Central. Uh, It sounds to me like something that um, we would have probably got into.
0: I really would have loved that, yeah that yeah. sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, it does sound good.
0: On the 31st of August, Scottish Television launches a new computer generated ident. <laughs> so I put a month so dull TV ident to the <laughs> highlights. <laughs>
1: The old ones were around for a while, and we all remember them, right? The Thames one with the mirror image of yeah. the Thames, and the the Anglican one—is Anglican or Anglian? Anglian. A- a- Ang-
0: Ang- Anglian. Anglian.
1: With the little with, silver with a, with knight, a knight,
0: yeah, rotating, yeah, yeah. and then Yorkshire TV with the yeah,
1: Y. Yeah. So you know, and they all changed. And nowadays, it, people don't have those, do they? They, just never, they don't have the little local branches really. I suppose Canada still exists and stuff, but
0: I'm, I'm really interested in that murder in space, though. I mean, that sounds a US intergalactic who done it. I'm actually generally I've never heard of this.
1: No, and curious as to know who was in that you know i quite like my 80s sci-fi that's never come across my radar which worries me because i do yeah. like a like, lot so i like some real crap so that worries me that i've not come across that
0: <laughs> that's true you do you <laughs> so really do I, I do
1: i can't help it i just do <laughs> uh, and that's never come across my radar which makes me wonder if it was either really good or really really bad though
0: so. so, i mean there was there's some interesting stuff in the early 80s like it reminds me of that did you ever watch special bullet which is like one of the very very earliest sort of realistic found footage type things about the so, a nuclear bomb on, on in the on the docks. That, that's that sort of thing. Some interesting stuff was being made, but this sounds really. Imagine being in that audience, like trying to work it out.
1: It had Michael Ironside in it, makes it instantly watchable.
0: Oh man, I'm tracking this down.
1: Not only does it make it instantly watchable, it also places it immediately in sci-fi '80s because that guy was in everything in the '80s and early '90s everywhere. He popped up everywhere.
0: Was it a V spin-off? Just reading this so, thing.
1: Reading, the still, wasn't reading the, yeah, no, it's not. He was in V, but and he was the best part of the VTV series. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs>
0: it's the best part of most things he's in.
1: It's is basically a it's a who done it so it's actually it's cluedo in space it's, a, it's cluedo hmm. so you had to figure out who killed what with the who and how inside this spaceship essentially so and a modern objects so you know we didn't go into <laughs> our space and kill them with a led- candlestick in the library <laughs> a lead pipe you know, a lead a lead pipe in the parlor you know <laughs> kind, d- of, sp- kind <laughs>
0: of spaceship you building
1: here i i suspect i'm not i'm just going to put this out there i suspect that the background somewhere are going to feature some blinky blinky lights because let's face it if you've got a spaceship in the 80s and you're going anywhere you've got them blinky lights you need blinky lights I watched Logan's run only last night strangely enough and Logan's run had lots of blinky lights in it so blinky blinky they even had blinky lights on their hands in Logan's run there's blinky lights everywhere in that that (laughs) film
0: why are we watching Logan's Run? Because I like crap films from the early eighties. Logan's Run's good. Sanctuary.
1: Sanctuary. <laughs> it's not though. All right. But that's kind of what appeals to plankton. me. It's not. It's kind of silly. I mean, we don't want it. It's not even part of our remit. But just as an aside, <laughs> if you ever want, if you ever want to watch a sci-fi movie with the worst payoff, watch that one. They go through all the trauma and all that trauma and agony to only be confronted by Peter Ustinov, incoherently talking gibberish, surrounded by cats. That's the payoff for their escape to Sanctuary. They meet him. that would have clubbed him to death and carried on searching. <laughs> Eating him for
0: his plank.
1: From the sea, greens from the sea. <laughs> that's it. That's box again. <laughs> don't get me That's that's a whole other podcast episode. You know, maybe there's a game of Logan's Run. There was a TV series. Maybe there's a. Game. But anyway, so Michael Ironside's in that. Anyway, he plays. Uh, he plays Neil Braddock, of he does. the captain of the uh, of the. Conestoga, that's the, the name what? of the ship. The Conestoga is the name of the ship.
0: <sighs> okay, that's a catchy catch title like Well,
1: get this. It's got this is the crew's made up of people from the USA, the USSR, Canada, East Germany, France, and Italy. So, you know how that's going to work out.
0: To the Russians. Russian most, Russian, no,
1: most likely the Russians, most likely the Russians going to be the ones that are dead and they're not going to blame the Russians for everything. So, I suspect although I can't confirm it without watching it that Canada probably got something to do with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be fair, though, after this, looking at this August sort of thing, we've got a Giorgio Moroder album to listen to and some weird Murder in Space thing to watch, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Michael side in really, it. better way of spending your time than playing Brian Bloodaxe. Anyway, yeah. mo- yes, let's move absolutely. on. So that's TV, new idents, and a uh, It in space. Let's move on. Films. Uh, there were two films released for cinemas in August 1985. The first was Brewster's Millions. That's the Richard Pryor movie, it is right? The, yeah, where he basically, he's a baseball player, isn't he? He gets challenged by uh, a dead relative to spend $30 million in a month and have nothing to show for it by the end so he can inherit, what's it, like $300 million?
1: yeah something crazy amount yeah
0: this film is so 80s about consumerism and stuff that it's almost yeah the absolutely
1: yeah <laughs> like, it is oh. absolutely rampant but
0: you got to spend more to get more that's this basically this sort of thing so obviously someone finds out that shenanigans he hires people he does lots of things he's richard Pryor being richard Pryor. john candy bid john candy and they spend money a lot of it he runs a really good there's actually a really funny section there which i do remember which is the uh, political campaign vote for none yeah. of the above which i think is actually quite quite clever and quite good and you know it's it's a it's Mid-eighties high-concept comedy, and it was it's all right. I imagine if you went back now, there's probably a few laughs to be had. A
1: slapstick comedy about money laundering. What's not to like about that? Funny enough. Richard Pryor was quite popular at that time because he'd done The Toy and he did Bruce's Millions and he'd also he'd done of course Stir Crazy and
0: yeah yeah him and Gene Wilder Sil- Silver Streak, Silver Streak. so you know there was a good track
1: record for that so it's actually it is quite a fun film and again it's got good John Candy's always watchable in the movies easy. it doesn't end on his face though though which most John Candy's <laughs> movies seem to end on a close-up of his face that one doesn't sound a- uh,
0: more interestingly though on the 30th of August Rambo First Blood Part 2 was released Yay. so for those uh, who don't know this let's first it, sort of we'll probably talk about Rambo anyway later on, something sort of when the game comes out. But Rambo, First Blood Part 2, the sequel to, you know, the pretty serious and, and really good First Blood. Directed by Ted Kochek, I can't remember who wrote the book. Ted, directed by Ted Kochek, correct. Was directed by him, yeah, I wanted something. Sort of but uh, yeah. I can't remember who wrote the book originally.
1: No, I couldn't tell you that.
0: First Blood is a, a Vietnam vet coming home, finding everything that he knew gone, and then essentially uh, harassed and pushed beyond breaking point by small town sheriff and police department and all hell breaking loose and kicking off. And that's Rambo. And it's all to do with, you know, psychosis of the the veterans coming back from you know vietnam yeah, and, and not, able to not accepting them, yeah, yeah. And, all, and all that sort of thing and it and is it, it, it's, it's rambo and it do, but the, i think first blood gets looped into the rambo franchise when first blood is a very different film and really the rambo franchise starts with this really yes, yes it does this, yeah. is very, this is a very very different film to first blood very different this is essentially rambo versus vietnam yeah
1: yes it is <laughs>
0: For, you know this started the, uh, the missing in action This is responsible for the missing action from you know Chuck Norris yep. and stuff I think all that sort of thing and all those kind of going back to Vietnam to rescue uh, trapped soldiers who was stuck in Vietnamese hell holes I know you're a big fan of this film aren't you yes I
1: am unashamedly um, <laughs> a, 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 a big first blood part two Rambo film and I'll tell you why at the time it was criticised as being one of the most violent movies ever made it was that's always that's a good selling point for me <laughs> Yes, it is the first again benchmark movie for the lone American gun-toting crazy hero. And there's many more movies that came out of that came off the back of this. In fact, loads of them. Mm-hmm. And it also made other people's careers, not just on the back of this with Sylvester Stallone, but with Commando and with all of the Delta Force and all of those kind of movies. This whole, there's tons of them. There's tons and tons of movies. American Ninja. There's loads of them. There's a list as long as your arm. But Rambo was the benchmark for those because it contained the benchmark moments that are required for that kind of film type. (laughs) So, evil enemy that gets blown up in a horrific way, brutal, crazy murders, because they take little elements of First Blood, and the first movie, and they explode those into completely new things. So, (laughs) there's a tiny moment in First Blood where he, he takes out his survival knife and checks his compass. That became, the knife became the thing. So... know he has this knife that has a crazy toolkit in it right okay put that in there make sure he's got that Uh, there's a moment where he fires a gun in many guns in first blood but there's a moment later in the film where he gets a a great big multi big caliber m16 m16 machine gun yeah yeah. okay so you've got to have that moment because everyone remembers that bit so put that bit in never mind the first one was about a struggling vietnam veteran returning home and finding everything changed his best friends died and he doesn't fit in, and actually the society rejects him, and, and he can't come. He can't cope with that. Take all that out, <laughs> and then t- take take that guy who was traumatized and placed in prison for what he did, and then say, right, you know, we're going to give you a pardon if you can rescue these people. But he actually originally only goes in there with a camera to take recon pictures, and then he discovers that the people are actually there. He's not meant to actually go in do that mm. and then they double cross him and so and so and then and so. now why do i like it because it is uncompromisingly what it is <laughs> yeah that's true it's, it's just it's an all-out action movie but you're very quickly into the action and like predator and like a ton of other movies that came after it where there was film set in jungly stuff bad guys are hiding in the trees and blow everything up you can and if possible blame you know either blame one culture or another culture but you know it doesn't matter who they are really they're just cannon fodder for the one-man army and they you know so all of that stuff that they sold about John Rambo in the first movie for me the God didn't make Rambo I did you know eat <laughs> things that make a billy goat puke and and all of that stuff that they sold him on this film just made all that reality this is that is what he did you know when they told said Rambo was the guy that you sent in to do this stuff this is the explanation of what he was sent in to do so when you sat there thinking what Masters War by attrition and who lit lives off the land and what how does a guy like that operate well rambo and all the films that come after it, up to the horrific last one are an (laughs) explanation are the the explanation of what that means okay find that i find that really compelling yeah it's crazy violent and it's really stupid and it's it is mad if you actually look at the film from start to end it's mad because it sort of has multiple endings as well and it's a it's a bit confused in its story but it's just one guy killing loads of people and blowing stuff up at a time when not many movies did that but loads more did afterwards (laughs) loads did afterwards yeah yeah and and even then you know and then even even it struggled with its own sequels where to go with that and and only really revisiting the soul of rambo and that sort of agonizing soul searching that he's had to do because of all the things that he's done they only really revisit that in the later sequel rambo 3 which is a mishmash of a movie anyway didn't really do that but this for me out and out great action movie classic and still good to this day. I'll watch it now great soundtrack as well really great soundtrack
0: it does have a good soundtrack I, I music
1: just, music make it for the film in this one definitely
0: yeah absolutely I mean I just I, I do I mean I watch it is it is it guilty pleasure I don't know whether you call it guilty pleasure or whatever sort of thing but I just like I get I get everything you said then sort of thing and, and I'm not going to argue against any of that I think you are absolutely spot on my, my argument would just be did we need to see him what he was, we, I think we saw enough of that in in First Blood. He, you know, he lives in the mines. He skins stuff. He sews himself back up. He does all that kind of thing. And he, you know, he does his war by attrition. You know, they think he's dead, and he's not. He lives in the mines, all the rats and stuff. I, I don't know. That's why I said at the beginning, sort of thing of, of this little bit was that First Blood is it's almost a film from a different series. If this was just if this was just called Rambo, then I think you know I think calling it First Blood Two almost a misstep. Almost, it's the same character, but it's a it's almost a different character. I'm not going to knock it. It is what it is. it it did open the floodgates to all those other films and I think you're absolutely 100% spot on with that the the latter half of the 1980s is absolutely replete with these sort of things and you probably wouldn't even have things like Little Weapon I don't know if that's around the same time is that around around the same time is that just slightly after Maybe diehards, diehards, and all things like that. It's your, you know, I, I don't know whether this is the first one. I don't know. Uh, there's probably earlier ones and this sort of thing, but it's the single man army against loads. And let's face it, I mean, look who he's taking on in this film. It's not
1: just the Ruskies in this one, is it? He's taking on the Vietnamese as well, or a, a surviving faction of that. So it's, it's just all out war with everyone and it sets its groundwork if you think of the movie poster it's that it's just that great image of sylvester sloan stood with a rocket launcher in front of everything on fire and that (laughs) but that's what that is what that it tells you everything you need to know about that movie is in that image and i and you know talk about high concept i mean i this doesn't need that quirky catchy songs this is just that image It's, it's the film is captured in that that yeah. is it
0: and i think it's it's a it's a thing of the time isn't it because i think that there are there are movie stars now there are people like the rock there are still people like tom you know, tom cruise is obviously still working and things like that there are there are certain maybe jason statham or something there are some there are action movie stars but these guys in the 80s were were icons they were yeah. iconic they were a, they were a, a different kind of thing you schwarzenegger and at the top like you schwarzenegger and you stallone at the top of these things we're just Box office gold, and then it was a different, very, very different time. And I think you're right. Something was like we're we just going kind to of blow shit up, and you're going to come and watch it and enjoy it. These kind of films, I can watch them, but I can't. I don't know. I, I don't know if I enjoy them these days. Sort of thing. I watched Commando <laughs> recently. I don't know about Commando.
1: It's. It's. I think it's a. There's an It's an endearing film, not an endearing franchise. Some interesting little factoids. So just to finish off, I suppose this little bit from me, anyway. Yeah. Go on. Then. So the first draft of First Blood part two was written by James Cameron It explains a lot about James Cameron's later movies and stuff really
0: yeah yeah
1: and okay. it features Stephen Burkhoff mysteriously plays a Russian it still baffles me to this mm-hmm. day why they didn't just get a Russian but I think he isn't even in many films Stephen Burkhoff why suddenly he was chosen for it's probably cheap and he could put on a Ru- he'd
0: probably put on a Russian accent and it's accent.
1: also uh, it, was, it cost 25 million dollars to make believe it or not Rambo which is incredible when you think about it and it's taken well over a billion dollars and it's franchise time so
0: so there rambo first blood part two 1980s uh, i think at some point we've got to hit rocky four and that becomes the summit or the nadir of that kind of thing i'm not sure which
1: exactly you know this just it didn't stop did it? it just kept coming out with if it isn't them blowing people up it's them punching people out you know they're just you know they really didn't like the russians at this point in time the americans and they made a bloody point of it every movie had some russian baddie getting crushed steam stabbed rolled squashed batted you name it
0: anyway there we go so that's your film and tv for august 1985 they drew first blood <laughs> all right welcome back uh that was the films now we've got some more games for you so our next one was a sizzler and that game is uh we've i think we've covered this in our our crap sort of things it's a bit of a strange advert but that the actual game is Confusion. So Confusion, I'll just read my notes actually, simple block sliding puzzler that is really quite addictive due to it doing what it does simply and well. It's got a really good core idea. It's it's a block slider, so what you have, essentially, you have a spark but these blocks create paths. They've got paths on them, so move left to right, up and down, they curve around. Off one of these blocks, on one side, is like a bomb and you have a spark that moves through these paths. What you've got to do is slide the blocks around to create a path where the spark is moving to get it to the bomb in a limited space of time, otherwise the bomb explodes. And that's it. Because the spark is constantly moving, you've got to be constantly trying to figure out where you want to move the block. And you can only move, you know, you've got one space on this block sliding puzzle. So you can only move you know the the into the empty space whatever blocks are around that one, the squares around that. And you're trying to kind of figure out on the fly how you need to get this spark and you'll think you've got it. And then it'll move off in a different direction because you haven't quite figured it out sort of thing. And you'll be like, oh no!" And you get past the first level. So the first level is not too hard. And then it starts introducing more things. So you've got multiple bombs. You've also got water that moves around the maze as well. Similar to you. So you need to avoid that. You need to move that around. But remember, all you can ever do is move one block at a time. And this becomes really tricky as it moves on. This is a really, really good single screen puzzler that has a really, really clever premise. Clear visuals. Everything's really nicely represented. You know, the bombs just say bomb the spark is obvious everything moves there's no problem with it it moves smoothly yeah this is i really enjoyed this what did, what did you think same clever game
1: slide the piece around to align the tubes so that the tubes the fuse isn't it so that the fuse can spark and go travel a fuse and hit the bomb it gets quite challenging it's quite addictive it's a good puzzle game a really good puzzle game no compromise puzzle game nice to see something like that just once you know the basic premise you don't need to know more it doesn't it just you know the difficulty is that you know you've obviously you know there's, there's, challenges to to being able to figure out the puzzles and stuff like that i i found it quite good very early rob hubbard soundtrack in there to boot as well albeit that it's a, not his greatest piece but it's in there so it, I, it as a package i really enjoyed it i thought it was it looked nice as well the graphics are nice Did simple movement and animation but that said it just felt slick it felt as we've said with a few of the games before now it was nicely finished nice polish yes. on this game and uh, i think if i'd have if i'd have splashed the cash for this particular game um i'm not a fan of I say not a fan I don't mind them but I'm not I wouldn't go out of my way to go and buy a puzzle game but I'd not played Confusion before, actually. Strange enough, it never crossed my radar. So playing it, I felt actually this probably would have been something I'd have enjoyed. It was a good, challenging little game. It was one of those games you'd load up and just kill a bit of time. You'd have a go and try and beat, you know, beat a score or something like that. You, it was one of those kind of games where you, you'd come back to it because it was just it was easy to play. You didn't have to relearn anything. It was simple. You pick it up in two seconds.
0: Yeah. Well, ironically, that's exactly because I've written a game that would happily play well on modern phones and be quite the time sink. Yeah. In fact, you know, get, get your remake hat out and off you go. Uh, absolutely. This is really simple sort of thing because you you know you're just dragging blocks around swipe swipe left and right up and down you move your block things moving around this would work perfectly on a phone because it's very very quick if this loaded up like instantly it was there you're into the first puzzle and it's moving and you've got the nice some nice little visuals and yeah, stuff. This, absolutely. Would, this would be a, an absolute winner on a phone
1: yeah I, I agree but you can't call it confusion so you'd have to cut puzzled or challenged actually not challenged that sounds bad well but- to
0: be fair i mean that's the only thing about it confusion is not really a great name for it
1: sparky bomb Chase was not uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> just wasn't popular <laughs> play sparky bomber but to be fair you had a you had a game called fat worm blows a sparky at some point you did so actually yeah you didn't need to call it because confusion yes you are confused but why the Z? um in confusion yeah. it's, a, oh, it's, it's a strange f-
1: it's, oh hang on it's a few it's a play on fuse. fuse isn't it yeah it's a
0: play on fuse but it still doesn't work
1: no and uh um, no, I don't doesn't. think it
0: particularly works as a title.
1: No, and that um, but, you advert know, that we saw was didn't it didn't convey any of that to me, you know. because no,
0: the, the spark's on a straight line in the advert, if I remember rightly.
1: Yeah, and interestingly you actually have to blow the bomb up, not try and not blow it up, which is quite cool yeah. as well. So
0: um so yeah, I, I think this would this would really work well now. Um mm. yeah, don't call it yeah, confusion because I, I don't think confusion has anything to do with it, but I, I think Fused Sparky Bomb Sparky Bomb Puzzle is the uh, <laughs> is the winner. <laughs> I can see that right really ranking quite high in the uh, in the Apple charts.
1: Yeah, no, blow a fuse, short fuse. see
0: all, all the kids will be chatting about that. Have you placed? if you got what level you got to on Sparky Bomb Puzzle? It's a playground winner.
1: In a world of boaty boat face, whatever he was called, Sparky Bomb Puzzle would work.
0: I, I, yeah. So yeah, this was this was really good, and I, I think that when a when when a, a good idea is delivered well and yes. simply put and polished and finished and and just you know here you go, here's a nice idea, and I think it's the fact that that it's not just a puzzle bot, but adding that little element. Because we get puzzles, like slidey puzzle games like, um, what's the one splitting images when that comes later? So Split personalities, it. yeah. Split personalities, yeah. But having the um, the spark constantly moving means yeah. you've got to be constantly you you, you. you sometimes you're waiting to get it on the block you want it to move it to the place you want, and there's a really nice push and pull that you've got to wait, but the time yeah. is constantly going down.
1: Yeah, this is this was really good. And and on a, from a technical perspective, actually, I, I it doesn't look it. But that's complex stuff going on, programming-wise, to have that little spark chasing around those patterns on those tiles because com- they are more or less completely random, and you can move them any way you want. So clever stuff, it is.
0: Yeah, and you know, knowing that it bounces off, doesn't have one. Yeah, yeah. there is some really nice things of this. I think this yeah. is a this is a real winner, and um, yeah, definitely, definitely deserves its sizzler. Yes, absolutely. Now that's that is a sizzler
1: for me. See that that's the very definition of sizzler is that game, which is yeah. why Way of Explained Fish should have been a gold medal. Just to say it yes. again, just. To- <laughs> <laughs> just just if to
2: put it out there again
1: did you forget for a minute I just to remind you. it should have, should have gone. Anyway, okay yeah but it is it is a great game confusion and, and i really uh i did enjoy that and i'd go back to it and play that again even like you say that's mobile game fodder arca- apple arcade fodder right there
0: yeah it's mo- yeah i think so there's probably loads like it already but I, it's just a really good premise yeah it just works oh. Unlike the next one. So you didn't play this, did you? No, I played well,
1: a, a really bizarre.
0: <laughs> a different version. T- text so, again-
1: adventure, essentially. <laughs> uh, so, and I could just, you know, one word review for that, rubbish. So, yeah, well, but so, I, we'll, no, we'll- so, so yeah, over to you for the actual.
0: Okay. So this is uh, a game called Captive. Um, another Mastertronic, 199. Um, Uh, game so yeah so there are multiple there were multiple games again called captive in our bank of roms uh and i really should check them before i upload them
1: (laughs) (laughs) i should just check zap to be fair i don't know why i didn't
0: so captive what is it it's a scrolling screen adventure um, with, with some interesting touches it's, the visuals are a bit rubbish you, you play some some kind of guy sort of thing you wander around it, it, the screen scrolls about it's not full screen you can pick up stuff and when you when you stop over something you press you press the fire button and you get a little menu of stuff you can do you can drop item pick up item use item all these sort of things so you pick stuff up and you go wandering around and there's stuff you can pick up like scrolls And there's monsters wandering about and it, it was okay I did wonder sort of thing because this came from Mastertronic I read in the review that they'd done a game called Spooks or something before yeah, it's this
1: a follow up apparently,
0: because this reminded me very heavily of Master of Magic, yeah. And I wonder whether this was a precursor by the same guys who did went on to do Master of Magic. Because Master of Magic essentially has you wandering around a maze, you know, smaller, smaller graphics or them picking stuff up, finding yeah. stuff, fighting monsters, yeah. And a bit more, a bit more refined version of this. I may be completely off base here, I don't know. Uh, but it did this did remind me of a sort of step in the evolutionary style to we, we get to Master of Magic, which is really good. It, it, it's okay, uh, I think. If you took your time with this, this, this could be. All right, but again, it looks like a bit like Sabrewolf, you Wolf know, type visuals. It's, I don't know, it's just, it's looking, it's not quite. Got what it needs to really work properly, and and I think that was a bit of an issue with it. So for one ninety nine, don't think you'd complain if you bought this. I think if you bought this at one ninety nine back in nineteen eighty five, you'd go, yeah, right, and you'd probably actually dig into it. I think you know, there's a lot of objects to pick up, there's a lot of things to work out, um, and you, I think you'd be quite happy with it. I think you should, you know, pass a weekend if you spent a couple of quid of your pocket money on it. But going back to it now, I think this is you know a step in a, 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 a an evolutionary step towards better things that kind of you just go play the newer things now so it, it is what it is it, you know zap seemed to think it was okay it was kind of give it a middle in review and i think that was pretty much spot on it's not great i think what i liked more about it was the fact that it actually scrolled around rather than bloody flick screens i'm yeah. so fed up of flick screens by this point it's not terrible it will pass your time i can't 100% recommend it in there's loads of other better games to play but it wasn't you know it didn't it didn't offend me as like some other games have done that were played today it was uh, created by somebody called nigel p johnston by the way <laughs> I like the fact that we pee.
1: Nigel, Nigel Johnston did that, just so you know that, the strangely enough, uh, Master of Magic was programmed by no one other than Richard Darling himself.
0: Was it really?
1: It was indeed.
0: Wow. Well, there you go. I got it wrong. But I still think he looked, Richard Darling might have looked at this. Oh,
1: I don't doubt it. They're all, they're all mates. Essentially, there was this, it was a cluster of programmers that could do stuff. But the graphics are rubbish on this, the captive, aren't they? I mean, I, I, mean, the, yeah, t- the- I tell you what, they're better than the graphics in Captive that I played by Miles, Cause there, <laughs> because there really wasn't any. But this just this kind of this hokey hokey sort of screen character graphics t- t- that they have. Just I just don't like that on a Commodore that's yeah. capable of so much more. But the command menu, as you say, interesting. So.
0: Yeah, that's what that's what I mean by having this sort of. It's not just about finding stuff; it's about using stuff, and, and yeah. that that sort of extra step to make this a little bit more than something like you just pick up objects and take them yeah. somewhere and I'm like, oh, you got to try and figure out what to do which is what reminded me of master of magic where you had the inventory system you could use stuff and use different weapons on various monsters and things yeah. like that so i never yeah. knew richard darling did that i'm yes. quite intrigued that's quite yeah. impressed i love master of magic the, well <laughs> the, Dal-
1: the darlings did a lot of those early mastertronic and mad games that came out because of course mad was the yeah extra ones. The,
0: uh, yeah mad ones yeah i think you could spend two quid a lot worse Yeah. I mean, you could have spent all your money on Brian Bloodaxe. Yes. How angry would you have been at that? (laughs) I'd have been very angry. Really, really, really angry. Uh, Rambo angry.
1: (laughs) Exactly. There's going to be a wall of fire behind me, let me tell you. And I'm holding a rocket
0: launcher. (laughs) I'm having a Bloodaxe. Which I would be as well if I spent my money on the next game as well. We're talking about Jet Set Willy 2. now okay my simple
1: question is how is this different from jet set willy one
0: well uh, my first question why did we need another one of these
1: yeah i I, I didn't see the difference
0: (laughs) and my next comment was i smell willy (laughs) cashing yeah
1: yeah. ew (laughs) That's, that's 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 not a sentence you ever want to say is it i've just put jet set willy was of its time and uninteresting this is out of its time and equally as uninteresting crap music and i put just just if you're going to play Jet Set Willy, go and play Jet Set Willy. Yeah, this got tacky, didn't it? What, I don't know what this is. Yeah, and I can see why. I don't even know. Where, where, what, I don't get it. I don't, Where did really come from? Why does it exist? How is it the sequel to something?
0: Because it looks exactly the same. Yeah, what's, what's different about different, it? it? It's done by different people. I mean, it, it, to be fair, I mean, I don't know if they got hold of the source code, or whatever sort of thing. For it, it looks and plays like a Manic Minder game in Jet Set Willy. So the fact it's done by different people, fair play if they've replicated, you know, if they've replicated it through code, yeah, that's good. But to me, this reeks of money grabbing. This reeks of the fact of like, because we know, you know, Matthew Smith was in a bad way, I think, by this point, from everything we understand sort of thing. And we know that there was a sequel to Jet Set Willy that was in production, I believe, that he was making, but um, he had mental health issues and had to stop and obviously just dropped out of the games industry sort of thing. So for them to come and get some other people to make a Jet Set Willy 2, I think is you know this is reeks of like just shilling for you know for, yep. for a name and I think that Brian Bloodaxe all the other ones we've looked at that look like this sort of thing they're just trading on the the, willy, the name of the, the, the Manic Miner the Jet Set Willie willy yep. name that's not that's not good considering what we know about Matthew Smith now I don't think it's a really good thing to set your game up to basically oh he can't do it because he's you know, having some real issues sort of thing. So we'll just farm it out to these two guys and can you just make us another Jet Set Willy? Just, we said yeah. it before. What do you, I think we were, we were quite scathing about some other game that did something similar-ish. Yeah. I can't remember what it was now. This was
1: basically a, a franchise extension. It, it wasn't released initially on the Sinclair Spectrum, which was really the home of Jet Set Willy and Manic Miner. Obviously, it's Manic Miner, then it's Jet Set Willy. Yeah. Jet Set Willy 2 The Final Frontier was an expanded version released on everything but the ZX Spectrum. And then it finally came out in the Spectrum after it had been released on every other format there is. So it is, it absolutely is a money grab. Playing on that name, playing on, and not, and like you say, not programmed by the very guy that had the wherewithal to make those games, but obviously suffered from you know a lot of his own personal problems along along with it. And rather than wait for that guy to do that, you know, they just rip him off, which is one of the reasons, why, one of the many reasons I suspect why Matthew Smith probably suffered a bit because. It was a great, successful game, he, and he, he did have a lot of mental issues. There's no doubt about that. To then, to, you know, to add extra insult to that, you then rip off his game, call it, just add two at the end of it, and release it on every other format but the one that he programmed it on. I think it's a slap across his face, and they, they should, they, it should never have happened. It shouldn't be allowed to do that. Can you imagine if they did that now? We've had this discussion before, but can you imagine if you just made a sequel to Halo on the PlayStation? and and just made that and just released it. And like, there you go; it's on the PlayStation.
0: We've got some other guys to make it, yeah.
1: Yeah, we've got some other team to make it. It's just on the PlayStation. We're not releasing it on the on the on the Xbox. It's just ridiculous. And this is Software Projects, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it is.
0: So, yeah, yeah.
1: So you know, I mean, they did Dragon's Lair later down the line and stuff. So then, yeah. yeah,
0: this, yeah, this. I don't, I don't, I don't like this I don't, for, for no. many reasons. I think this is a no. this is a bad bad game yeah, on every level. Yeah, and it, and it, it bombed and it, massively that, anyway. A, not only that, but it's a, it's a bad game. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, and there's a weird bit in it sort of thing where I turn into a hamster.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's weird. i was like, I what
0: the hell is this?
1: And that might have been one of the extra bits. I don't know. I don't know what the modifications were that they made to it to make it more. I don't
0: know. Expanded. <laughs> yeah, I don't. know. I didn't see it. Yeah. This. This is. This is just. Uh, yeah. We can't. I can't. I'm, I'm gonna be very, very down on this because I just think it's a. Uh, it, I mean, we we're talking about you know from 35 years ago. I don't know the reality behind it, but from to me, this is really just looks like that. So I can only comment from that sort of thing. It may be that you know it's just it's just a, a poor, poor choice, and I think that it shows you know that there was the games industry sort of thing has always been replete with people just looking to make a quick book Yeah, and this is one of those examples. And you yeah. know, we saw the crash two years ago in, in the states. Previous to this, there was you know part of this this is just an example of why yep. it was happening absolutely so bad bad bad, bad. we don't like at willy
1: too. no we do not
0: uh, it was up to the past does not so there nope. you go thumbs okay. down that's our second to last set of games we're going to take a break now and we'll come back with we will discuss one of the features that was written in this month's zap 64 see you in a moment All right, welcome back. Um, yes, yeah, so Zap, we're getting into uh, at this point writing features, um, and we're going to take a look at one of them from this issue. Graham, do you want to tell us what that feature is? Sure.
1: So it's an interesting time in the uh, UK games industry at this point, and there's all sorts of different companies are popping up and disappearing. Famously, um, Imagine went under with a bit of a TV exclusive bang at the time, and everyone was waiting for the bubble to burst or get bigger. Or nobody. It was a, you know it was quite an exciting time to be into game design it had gone from the guys in their sheds to several people meeting up in bedrooms to more people meeting up in offices and it's the early foundations of the games business was starting to begin and the publishers had quite a good grasp on how to get games and and products out and get things duplicated so the machinery of the production was in place and still it was still some of those games were made by one or two people who just had a knack for making games, they were still a bit hobbyist. There's still a lot of that. And we see that in some of the games that we review. There's games that are great, made by really great designers, and there's plenty that are less well-made. So, (laughs) on the back of... And without going into all the history of it, though, imagine went Bust, essentially famously went Bust because they made all these promises about these games that never appeared. Famously, the one that everyone remembers is Bandersnatch, which they paid a lot of money to have adverts out. They portrayed themselves as having this very lavish, luxury, executive-like lifestyle driving expensive cars and you know and and we pay our designers loads and hey we're a very you know pre, pre, you know very 80s company actually very if gordon gecko could run a company it would probably be that i think it was a game <laughs> design company and then famously it just it just was all vaporware it wasn't real it was a fugazi so the company went under and they got rid of all the people made redundant and that was the end of imagine and later on it actually got picked up as imagine play the game or whatever it, derivative it was and it Mm -hmm. became derivative of another company however what's interesting is the people who were the key programmers and graphic designers and makers of games in there um, who had worked on things like the early bits of bandersnatch but on some other titles then set about their own company and denton designs was born now denton designs is interesting for a number of reasons firstly i think it was five maybe six people they were all they actually formed a games creation team who then became game creation team people for hire and they hired themselves out to game companies to make games on their behalf that's an interesting business model that was a new quite and nowadays that's quite common so independent published independent games teams would come together and then they publishers hire them to make games and they make those games for that particular publisher that's common now Back then unheard of or at least relatively unheard of so instead of it being sort of big publishers and stuff and, and little indie guys that produce the games maybe being picked up by the other publisher these guys went in as a team as a forced, 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 forced you know a forced to be reckoned with, um, with a lot of great graphic design and skills, and made games on any, across any platform. Remember, so they weren't just about Commodore 64. They made quite a number of games across different, different. Platforms, So they made some successful games on the Sinclair Spectrum. So on that, for example, they made Gift from the Gods. On the C64, of course, um, one of the designers worked on the Frankie Goes to Hollywood game. And then they started to, and you start to see how these guys start to ramp up and start to appear in different kinds of game. And eventually, of course, they start to release some of the the games that Denton Designs became quite famous for. And this article uh, inside of um, Zap is just about that. Now, what's interesting about that is that, again, we talked about it when they did the Diary of a Game Designer zap wasn't just about the games zap was a magazine that embraced the games industry and it's really early stuff that's going on here so remember this is still in the early days of never mind imagine portraying all of their game designers and their executives as rock stars these were just a team of game designers by the way the denton designs you may not know it created spy hunter and um, they also created roland's rat race they did gift from the gods on the spectrum um they did Fra- frankie goes to hollywood is based on a game idea from them And so they had an influence and they made some of these games that, you know, and Shadowfire, of course, later down the line and then stuff like that. So you get the idea that these guys were quite a formidable team to reckon with, not not uncompromising. And this article is actually about the creation of them. And I quite like it because it's unusual for a magazine, because the other magazines were shying, weren't really about this. So they weren't about young programmers, interesting stuff going on, the birth of the different companies, industries, what they were doing, how they came to be. where where they came from remember these guys are only in their you know early the very late teens sometimes late teens early 20s so they're very young young people who were making these stuff and of course Denton went on to make some really great product so it's just interesting to see an article about what how something came to be that was quite interesting and different at that time and again zap pioneer, pioneering those kind of articles because you don't get these in with the best will in the world computer and video games was literally kind of avoided the industry and the people behind them and just focused on product and face value product in this issue of zap there's an enormous angry rant about the fact that the other games in response to Zap magazine taking this kind of approach to the publishing of articles like this and the way they approached it faking exclusives so they would go and physically visit their software houses see a game over someone's shoulder and review that game as if they'd had an exclusive even if the game wasn't ready they did that and started to try and get the drop on Zap and it's exclusive so they were kind of playing dirty and then saying that Zap was you know wasn't you know was designed and it was a bit cheap and it was a bit stupid and being hypocritical. but realising I think that because they were doing the kind of thing things they're doing here with this article um, and the kind of things they did with the game designers and embracing not just the people who play the games but the people who make them and making them superstars but really just so that the people who play the games have a bit of background about who makes what and that makes the industry what it is it isn't about cult of celebrity none of these guys are going to become celebrities now later down the line many of these people become quite retro superstars in many ways some of them um for the magazine to embrace those creative teams the creative companies and do all of that is it is an innovation in that magazine because the others doing that which is what zap was really good at and it explored the territory which the other magazines had foolishly ignored and then later tried to berate zap for doing that fair play to zap they just stuck to their guns and carried on doing what they did best which is just carry on writing stuff like this um so i found it a very interesting article about a time in the games industry which where it's just becoming more than hobbyists in britain taking on games and making them you know you've got teams of people coming together they've got a style to that team they've got a brand and their own identity and they're starting to push that into other areas and And the publishers are starting to notice that and push things out and gradually you start to see how that starts to manifest that's my thoughts
0: on it anyway yeah no I <laughs> yeah it is a very good article sort of thing just say they did the uh the ports of spy on earth they didn't create spy on earth the ports yeah, to, yeah. Uh, it's, it's Spectrum, it's the c64 and, um, yeah and uh roland's race yeah they converted that to the spectrum yeah. as well but yeah Denton designs were uh, a really interesting they were almost i mean the, the name itself like Denton design is quite uh it's quite a evocative name, sort of thing. It sounds different to a lot of game companies, and I think you're right, sort of thing. I mean, I mean, when when Shadowfire came out, there's a really nice bit in the articles about about their sort of overarching uh, sort of goals, what they want to sort of achieve, which is, you know, with with the Shadowfire, they sort of Icon driven design, and then with Frankie to would this window pop ups, and then they want to get into sort of this educational stuff, and sort of bring it all together with animated stuff with, with what would enig- eventually become Enigma Force, which was Sh- Shadowfire Two. And I think there's there's lots of really good stuff in this article. And one of the things I did actually like, r- r- sort of reading this article, was that the makeup of the team at Denson Design, which is you know we think about the early games industry sort of thing, as very very male dominated. Yeah. And, and and the interesting thing about this is sort of thing is it's three guys and two girl, two women. Yeah. There's two artists. The, the you know the girl and and the way they sort of speak about each other, everybody's viewpoint is valid. Yeah. Nobody's no, nobody's, you know, nobody's a boss. They said they've all got the word director on their business yep. cards because they're all they're all equal. And I think this was a really you know, you, you look you look back on the sort of especially, you know, things that you know that have gone on ever since sort of thing. But this notion that this this team of just people whether male or female, it's just about what they could do. The article mentioned sort of thing that the, the two the two women are working visually on the two Frankie games for Spectrum and Commodore sixty four, and and how this all works together and you know writing the the inlay for the uh, the cassette of it and how everyone's chipping in with ideas and nobody's you know fully in charge but nobody has the ego to sort of want to be that sort of thing. It sounds like a really sort of interesting way to approach you know game design. It sort of it it reminded me sort of thing of what I read about sort of early Valve. Yeah. um and how you know valve software sort of thing was like no one's a boss yeah we work on what you famous want famous flat and, and structure that yeah. sort of thing yeah exactly and this 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 is an early example of that and and i think you know denton they had a really particular look they had a really particular design and that they you know they, they fully designed and and pitched and made frank goes to Hollywood. and we'll talk about that in a bit and and they were they were unusual and i think yeah you're, you're right in pulling out the fact that zap is really quite brave in covering these and the way it covers them as well is really positively yeah you know it's a really positive article but not in a sycophantic way it's a it's a well-written piece sort of thing that's just like look these, these guys are doing this and they came they came out of the, the fire of imagine uh, and set this up and they've gone from like what was you know driving porsches around to just you know just working in in liverpool and, and they're just getting on with stuff and and it's quite interesting to read that business side of Yes, the, uh, the 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 industry sort of thing, which seems almost at odds with Zap, because Zap is quite you know a playful, light-hearted, you know read, but it also manages to sort of encapsulate this you know the the, the business of the games industry a lot better than the, the boring mundanity that company user and cvg sort of seems to sort of oh this is what people want they want typing adventures and things like that no 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 we want to who who are making these games who are they what, you know and i really like the sort of incidental details about how the two guys got into it like one was a carpenter or something oh and he just thought i'm just going to change my job and just went off and just learned how yeah. to code and got like that. got hired in a got hired in a pub yeah it's like you know that that kind of sort of anecdotal stories is really refreshing and, and interesting to read even now you know i found this um Uh, A well-written informative interesting read about stuff you just don't normally find out about you know um and, and to see that kind of that sort of software development side of things just being spoken about in a kind of a matter of fact yeah this is what we do this is the business side of stuff and the way they're sort of quite frank about yeah we take on ports because that keeps the lights on yeah is 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 really sort of you know that's what goes on that's yeah. the business side of it and i i thought this was a good article yes I thought it was interesting to read and and like i said i was just going back to sort of thing that the makeup for the team sort of thing is the way that there's no there's there's no, there's no element of the article that sort of makes light of the fact that it's Two women working in it, no. which was very—they're uh, just—it's just people, yeah. you know. Creative it's, people it's, that's yeah. re- really refreshing to read from, a, you know, a, a, an article written in the mid nineteen eighties. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that, that's that's why I say that it's it's it paints the right picture of the industry at that time. Um, because the wrong the wrong the wrong painting of the industry at that time is big games crashes like you know famously with Atari and all of that. Or later, then you've got big game promises and failures, British ones like Imagine and stuff. So that isn't the industry. That wasn't the games industry. That was just people profiteering, people making mistakes. And that happens in business, right? But this was a Mm -hmm. really positive article about a new, fresh team, really, you know, with a great dynamic, very diverse, taken on some interesting roles loaned money by ocean for the first bit of kit as well just so they could get off the ground you know just just it's it's the industry supporting the industry to be and i and i like that and the article felt like that it didn't feel like it was loading anything over them it wasn't overly promoting anything they did it didn't you know it didn't do that and that's that's actually clever writing to do that you know it doesn't feel like you're reading an advert for denton design games it just feels like you're reading an interesting article about people who make games who happen to be called denton designs and they've had a interesting journey to where they became and and you know and, and where they might go and i and i think that zap heralds that in the way that it does is very refreshing because it's still early days in that industry you know it doesn't seem like it when you've got companies like ocean and but there aren't lots of companies like ocean there is ocean and there is a few others that have the power to be able to throw money at licenses yeah. but game developers and designers programmers graphic artists those are the people that make the games you know the publishers might very well finance them and find and do all of that stuff but these guys are the programmers the, the real artisans in that little clique really in the sense that what you mm. what you load up and play and move around on the screen is what they've created
0: especially especially artists and programmers and designers of a, of a good quality yeah absolutely because these, oh, these guys clearly knew this stuff yes and you know and again it's that snapshot into the making of games yeah you know what we got from the we've got much more detail in the braybrook stuff and obviously the braybrook uh, diary continues but this is a you know them talking about writing the you know writing the uh cassette and yeah. like coming up with ideas for the different puzzles and what are you it's yeah. good yeah no good choice i liked it so there you go this was in so that was denton's designs covered in uh zap issue four um it's worth a read if you want to go back and have a look at that Um, because Stenton Designs were a cool software house. We'll be back in a moment with uh, our last set of games uh, for this issue. So stay tuned. Welcome back. This is our final section uh, of games, our final collection of games, sorry, uh, from this issue, issue four of Zap64, August 1985. Um, we're going to look at the first one of those and the first one we're going to look at is a game called Lands of Havoc so Graham what did you think to Lands of Havoc
1: so this is a Wolf imitation essentially I felt run around yeah. <laughs> big big environment biggish fast though I have to say it was you know you were zipping around the screen at a pace but run around collect stuff uh, avoid the baddies it's Wolf not a very good version, um, and it just felt like a misfire completely, and just, you know, if I want to play sable we've had this discussion about these games, I play Saber Wolf on the Spectrum, I would play it on that, because I don't really rate the any of the other versions of it, I know Saber Wolf actually eventually does come out on the C64, but I'm probably a bit late, uh, and it's probably not even that bad, but um, this is just, you know, it's a zoom, up, zoom about, some of the map screens as well were just really sparse, they were just, I think they got bored doing them, they just put a couple of blocks in, as. Not much thought to this. It felt thoughtless. You know, just zoom and it yeah, like I say, zoom, zoom about. There's a little, little tiny sprites, a la, saberwolf. Very it's just it's saberwolf, mm-hmm. but but with parts <laughs> of it what with parts of it missing. But mostly fun, graphics, and it just becomes a tedious flip screen bunch of rubbish and just, you know, and yet another collect 'em up arcade adventure. I hesitate to use the word arcade or adventure for this. Um, and the music in game was bloody shocking. Awful.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely 100% a knockoff. I couldn't quite figure out what you were. You come some kind of weird dinosaur. I thought you was a dinosaur, yeah. It was but a dinosaur. you a dinosaur that, shoot, that, that shoots a laser. But it only <laughs> shoots a laser left or right. You couldn't shoot up <laughs> yeah, or down. Tell me about you had it. to get You had to get level with them. Uh, any enemies that kind of came onto the screen. There's a nice idea with the randomised maps that clearly what happened with the game sort of thing was that you have got a series of nine maps I think
1: yeah that's right
0: that you that it randomised at the start so it would tell you at the start sort of thing put your maps in this in this order like a cube so yeah. three by three by three by three grid. so then that would then randomise how you play through the level sort of thing and then you know this is another but when every screen just is the same design almost or yeah. you know randomness but apart from the actual visuals that stop you moving around which are a temple a house forest whatever sort of thing so what's the what's the point? You know, yeah. there's nothing different in the design. The thing is, and you know, comes to review it's got two thousand screens or whatever, but it's like, so what? Yeah. Um it, because like it feels like a sort of, you know, technological arms race. Yes. Like, look how many screens we've got. It's a great bullet point for the back of the box. You've got two thousand screens to get through. Like, yeah, but two thousand screens of rubbish is still two thousand too many. It's just, you know, another more flick screen nonsense sort of thing. just again, like somebody I don't know. Uh, It it really did feel like some kind of like, oh, I'm going to make a Sable game something without, I imagine, you know, cramming 2,000 screens into C64 memory. Okay, clever. You know, not not noting that. And yeah, it did move fast and there's Mm. some weird sort of options because you could knock the speed up to full speed. It was like nine speed options. That's right. Which I didn't quite get the point of because if you put it up to nine it became absolutely 100 percent unplayable if you put it on five well yeah it's all right we'll just leave it at five
1: i mean i felt like they did that because they could i mean they've the highly optimized code and so we're going to show it off kind of thing
0: yeah this this felt like a you know technological willy-waving um yeah. look what we can do sort of thing but yeah. with that you know a very clever programmer but not a very good game designer
1: yes absolutely absolutely
0: and and you know, they looked at Sable and said, "Yeah, I could do that," and they did it. And then they didn't realise actually what people enjoyed about Sable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to think this was nine ninety five full price. I'm sorry, but no, it's a rip off. And it was a, it was not only was it a rip off of another other game. They ripped off the packaging of that game. So so it was not just a rip off. This was a blatant rip off. And I think this is, I think there was a frustration that Ultimate didn't release their games on the 64 in enough speed and time. They were famously slow to release things, but that wasn't their own platform really. No, and they knew more than anyone that just releasing ports for the sake of it isn't
0: Well, I think the thing really is that, good that thing. Ultimate knew, you know, if you look at we've already looked at Entombed, then there'll be Black Witch and Staff of Carnath. Ultimate made games for the platform. Yes classic sort of spectrum games your, you know your, your night law um and all those kind of things they're made for the spectrum they play yeah. to the spectrum strengths say wolf it plays to the spectrum strength that's what they do then like you said they're not about just oh well, we've got it on here we will put it across I me mean, say wolf does eventually come to the 64 but it's ages it's it's not for a while i don't think yeah. i can't it really come out um but they, they weren't about oh we're just going to put this game we're going to put it on every platform it was no we make this game for this platform because this game suits the strengths of that. Yeah. You know, you couldn't you couldn't see entombed on the spectrum. Um, because it'd be dreadful it'd be awful. It'd yeah, be awful. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. I can't imagine it. Yeah. Because there's colourful sprites and everything. So they they weren't about that. This just feels yeah, like I said, it's a it's a programmer looking for a game designer.
1: Yeah, I agree. And just ripping off somebody else's idea is not a good thing to do.
0: No, it's not. So we don't like that. More things we don't like on Zaps of the Past, but finding out all these things we don't like is great. It's true. It is true. So let's move on. Um, and I believe we're probably going to have a bit of a disagreement on this next one. But our next game, our second to last game is Elidon. So Elidon, I'll go first here and then you can, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can slam me. I don't mind. <laughs> um, okay, so Elodon is another flick screen platformer, collect collect 'em up type thing, uh, where you play a, a, a fairy flying around various screens, trying to collect things to solve puzzles and, and move on. I am going to be honest here and say I didn't actually mind this once. Now, there's a there's a weird caveat here, sort of thing. The the essentially like like Gribbley. Um, so before Gribbly Stay Out sort of thing, there's a, there's, a, there's a mechanic in this sort of thing where if you're walking past anything on a platform, you're safe. But if you fly into it, it will damage you. Same as what Gribbly Stay Out did. The problem was Gribbly Stay Out, a similar sort of thing to that. But in this day, if you hold down the fire button, you hover. And then that means you've got complete control over your character. <laughs> um, if you don't hold down the fire button, then gravity kicks in and drags you down. and makes it really hard. As soon as you learn to just hold down the fire button, all the time this game is really simple and quite easy to navigate and a lot better for it but why they didn't make that the default i'm not quite sure because you know as a fairy just make me hover if i want to move up just let me move up it, it, that's what should happen there's some really the, the visuals are really nice in this i really did like the visuals the, the sprites are nice the backgrounds are nice you know cauldron-esque vibe to them very pl- you know um palace software st- style of look to them i thought which is always quite nice, and it made it look quite different. The sprites are quite big, your fairy that you control is quite big. There's some interesting touches throughout, like there's areas which are dark, which just have these sort of eyes that you can see, Um, and you kind of have to sort of try and figure your way through them. Yeah, it's all right. It's a nice, decent map. There's some interesting stuff going on. It's another collective, it's another platformer. But the fact of, you know, they should have fixed that control system, I didn't hate it. It's better than most of the stuff we've played that's similar to this. You know, it's all right. I think you didn't like it, didn't you, though? my
1: issue with this is it's just yet another collect i mean that okay firstly let's let's not just be down on it for the sake of being down on it um graphically it's quite pretty you know the graphics are pretty good in it i have to say even by yeah. you know there's lots of multicolour graphics going on in there the layout of the screen is quite nice the presentation of the main sprite is actually pretty good and the animation that's all good The problem is with these games is once you get past that there's not a lot to do other mm-hmm. than fly yeah, this- around and collect stuff which is fine i played it for a while i got, and the screens were quite interesting and i did not i didn't really get an idea of how big the game was but it doesn't matter you know it was quite good and like you say once you've figured out the control system it's actually it's a, it becomes a bit more playable and a bit more fun but then once you've got that but the trouble is it's where does it go because mm-hmm. if it's just no, yeah. endless rat flying around picking up stuff collecting stuff I'm just get I think. I think. I'm just getting that. You know. I don't, what you call it? Collect up. Fatigue. Absolutely. Um, yeah. um, because there just seems to be a lot of them, and this is a pretty one. If you take away the really all the other crap variants of this type of game, this is a lot better than any of those by miles. But I don't think it deserves the. You know, the, the super praise that it gets in, in the magazine, certainly. I don't think it's... Graphically, yes, but some of the other stuff, not as such. You know, it, they say, you know, this has got a lot of... Well, actually, there's a, it's an interesting dichotomy, really, because the reviewers say, I don't know how long you could put up with this for, really, because it is quite repetitive, and yet that doesn't come over in its last ability scores and anything else. But that said, mm. my just my chief complaint was that this is just a bit vacuous and a bit empty and a bit dull. And I think pretty, pretty but dull.
0: Yeah, I, absolutely. I... I, I... I, I can see that. I agree with that sort of thing. I would. This is like uh, thing on a spring, in that it has a it has one appealing element to it. Thing on the springs was its music. This is its visuals, and that when you're looking for something, when you play something like you know Brian Bloodaxe, or you play something like you know Jet Set 22, or you play something like the the numerous other ones, this you know everyone's a Wally or any any other kind of those kind of things. You know Nutcracker, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which don't have any of those kind of appealing elements. This just stands out in a in a in a crowded space because at least it has something. And yeah, absolutely, I, I completely agree. Sort of thing. Once you get past those visuals, sort of thing. Once it's like, okay, yeah, you, you, where's the, where's the meat? You know, where's the meat on the pretty bones? There's not much to it. I agree with that. But you know, in a sea of so much dross, a single element is enough to pro- possibly lift something to to you know to, to some at least a, a slight height above them, uh, like thing on a spring. You know, it's that one element. As if you something, if one element of the game is done okay, then I'm more than willing to sort of go okay, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's there's something here, and I think you know there is some because a lot of them don't seem like they've got care and attention. This ran well, yeah. You know, the yeah. care, you know, and it, it looks nice. The animation's nice. I'm always in favour that you can land and walk through stuff, or if you're flying, it's it you something that sort of dual mechanic of where you can be careful and where not. There's there's some nice bits in that. There's, there's a few, you know, it's not perfect. I'm not, not in any way, shape or form, but. It's one of those things where I'm willing to cut it a bit of slack because it seems like a bit of effort's been put into it.
1: Well, you know, it, like you said, rightly so. You know, this feels like a bit like a Palace game. They've, then The Palace has that Palace polish graphically. Mm. They tend to do that. And re- in reality, in a similar way to Sekedama of Antiriad, which we'll cover later, is an explorer slash pick things up and do Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely, it is, yeah. Um, but it has a finality, whereas this didn't feel like it had one it probably does actually there must be an end to it i suppose but um but it just felt a bit like a long journey of the same thing over and over again the screens Mm. are varied but not that varied but like you say in a sea of you know games of this type to stand out you've got to be doing something better than all of them and this graphically is streets ahead by 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 miles so it does have that and its sound isn't terrible least you can switch it off it has a pause which is interesting because not many games had a proper pause the back then Mm, so, so yeah, there are yeah. some so there are some nice little tricks up its sleeve and just you know you don't see many games that look like that generally speaking it's brave i think it's safe to say it's gra- <laughs> it's, it's brave because it's graphically interesting you know it's not going to appeal to everybody a game with your main protagonist being a fairy character it's just not but that said you know why not um and graphically i say it's pretty so and know i think that's that's something to say
0: i think i think so yeah it's not yeah it's it is another one of them but like yeah i think we agree on if you have a one one element that shows care and attention yeah i'm more likely to be forgiving for it and and, and it is well programmed and well put together and you know like i said it's smooth and runs nicely so elladon yeah it's all right yeah it just looks pretty Our last game um, for this issue of Zap sixty four is international tennis. We've had basketball. We've had football. Now we have tennis. Graham, what did we think to international tennis? Well, okay. Um it's
1: my I, I don't get I liked it. It's playable, it's a playable enough tennis game. It's interesting. It's it's side to side, it's got it's it's just late to the gate. my my comment was it's a good game, but it's late to that party because it's already been beaten by a better tennis game.
0: Oh, do you think so? Yeah,
1: so it's playable, but it's. I found. Oh. I found. I found the other tennis game just marginally more fun to play, even if it was a bit slower. Mm. But this is kind of a different ang- approach. If you shrunk the sprites down, you could easily have um, sensible tennis here. So. <laughs> yeah. So, is there a sensible tennis? No, no, then it is an idea for, for you know, the, the, any people that are out there listening make sensible tennis. <laughs> but um, no, but it, if you shrunk it down, shrink the sprites down to that sensible size, you've got a sensible, it could easily be sensible tennis because um, mm. it has that kind of spade and immediacy and stuff like that. And it's <laughs> all the international insert sport here games. They're all really good at what they are. Yes. you know. Mm-hmm. You know There's nothing, this isn't bad. This is a really good game. It's just a bit late to the party. There's better sports games than this. So if you like tennis and you got this, you wouldn't be unhappy with it. No. Likewise, yeah. likewise, if you got any of the other the other tennis game, I forget the name of it now, but the other tennis game that we had. But you uh, know on what? court tennis. So if you played on court tennis, you're not going to be disappointed. They're both good in their own way. This is a different angle. Literally a different angle. Um and I think out of the two, one is more tennis simulatory, one is more fun sporty game. And I'd I'd liken that in modern parlance, I'd liken that to um, a little bit to um, the idea of the the real fancy tennis games that you get now. I forget what the, what's the most recent tennis game that's really amazing. Um, I don't know.
0: Is it Smash Court? Smash Court. Smash well, smash t- court tennis or even, virtual even,
1: tennis. Virtual tennis. There's even one on mobile which is super popular now, where you can play like. And it's it's the same on-court tennis view. Alternatively, mm-hmm. albeit that it's not the same. It's the same sort of view. International tennis had that kind of manic sonic tennis appeal. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. Because, you know, whether you like tennis games or not, having a tennis game that has a bit more speed and fun and challenge to it, as opposed to one that's coming from a diff- I don't know, from a different angle, I guess. I think there's a place for both. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't like to say which one I'd prefer. I liked on court tennis. I liked international tennis for different kind of reasons. But these intern these international games, I just you know, I've revisited as we, as we've revisited them all. So international soccer, international basketball, now international tennis, as we revisit them you realise how good they are actually were all along and because these were also cartridge games so these were all released on commodore cartridge we know we don't know nobody really talks about the commodore cartridge games but there was a oh, few yeah. and the international games were all cartridge games so as well as tape and disc or whatever so these were well-made well-engineered games you're not going to put anything on your cartridge that is crap not not, <laughs> not since not since not since et did it and they became famously <laughs> landfill so they were slick and they kind of got better but each slight iteration something improved and then this one's the sprites aren't quite as massive, but they've it's fast and a bit fast and furious tennis. I I enjoyed it. It's just is tennis really playable in in that perspective? I don't I, know. It was kind, of, kind of weirded I, me I, out playing it. I got a bit kind of wangy-eyed, but
0: it it did I think I, I get what you're saying, sort of thing, because it is I don't know of many other tennis games that are viewed from the side on. So um there are, there are there's much to like about this. I mean you know another great sports in from Commodore it's another one yeah like you said basketball football they're all great the full control and side on view they like that view from the side well that's their engine the sprites, right, so. yeah the, the sprites are really well animated yeah I mean I really like the sprites uh, and it, it I mean it's sparse but effective sounds what it yeah. is sort of thing but it's you know what do you need you need two people on a tennis court hitting the ball back and forth yeah. it runs nice and fast and I think that's what I preferred to this to on court tennis I thought I felt found on court tennis just a bit mm-hmm. this feels nice nice and speedy it feels fast I like the freedom in this as well because being able to have full control of your play, run about wherever you want sort of thing, offers its both its advantages and disadvantages. You've got you've got to position yourself um, yeah. wherever you want to go on the court to hit it back or forth. You've got to make sure where you know you can footfall uh, yeah. when you're doing you know serves and stuff. So that that is like a really nice Really nice touch that it's your fault for doing it wrong. You need to time your hits right. You need to, where you want to hit it, up, down, left, right. All eight directions of the joystick are used to position your shot when you when you go to hit it. But you've got to get there first. There's some good things to this. I, I yeah. really, really enjoyed this sort of thing. And once When I first started batting, I was getting battered by the computer, even at the lowest level. But by about the third or fourth game, I was starting to hold my own and get stuff to like losing like to thirty or you know forty thirty and then get get the winner and then uh, I think it was at four nil I won my first game and then I won the second one and I could start to really start to hold my own and have some decent rallies and stuff and I I yeah this it's like you said I think it's right it's another international insert sport name here that Commodore just got spot on yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's good just, I, don't, um, I don't I never played this back in the day no no I never never came across my radar I don't think was, I was even aware that this was this existed no I never saw it on any tape I never saw it anywhere to play but going back to it now I'm glad I did I really enjoyed this. Yeah. this was this past a, a good yeah I, I, I did a good couple of sets I like the um it's like the little things like you don't just swap sides they run around yes I, yes you know, it's little things like that sort of thing so they leg it from side to side and, yeah and and having that side on view I think I, I get what you're saying sort of thing it's like you're so used to tennis games being seen from the baseline yeah and that. Sort so you're looking there and you're playing for that. from I'm actually seeing it from the side and it being all... same. Yeah, it's kind of odd. But once you get used to it, well, is that, tennis It's how the umpire sees yeah, it. Commodore are just... We're just good at doing these. And did they exactly. do anything else?
1: International
0: snooker, maybe? No, that's not a sports game, I mean. Oh. Did I'd, Commodore release any other game?
1: That'd be something we'd have to do a little bit of digging into and find out. I suspect so. Because they did have a team of game developers in there because they initially made quite a few games instantly for the C64 back then, so
0: worth checking into it's it's worth looking into but yeah that's good so um there you go we liked international tennis another good good to round up on on a a positive yes absolutely absolutely i think that's, that's, that's good to good to end on Our games for issue four of Zap 64 for August 1985. We've looked at quite a few. Obviously, we looked at nine in the first part. We looked at nine, Then, so we've looked at beat. I'll just go through We've looked at Beachhead 2, Clumsy Collin, Jack Charlton's Match Fishing, Rocky Horror Show, Nutcracker, uh, Way the Exploding Fist, Thing on a Spring, Due to a Kill, Stop the Express, The Fourth Protocol, Jump Jet, Brian Bloodaxe, Confusion, Captive. Jet Set Willy 2, Lands of Havoc, Eldon, and International Tennis we will do our usual now where we'll actually, we'll each pick a game as to what we want to put in um, and we'll each put a joint game in as well that we will we'll want to put into our recommended list sort of thing. So I'm going to hazard a guess <laughs> that we might have the same joint game.
1: Yeah, uh, it has to be, doesn't it? Way of the Exploding Fist.
0: It has to be Way of the Exploding be. Fist, yeah. Gotta be. It's still great, you know, from every angle. Yeah, go play Way of the Exploding Fist. So, I think that's our joint game. If you didn't get we're, we're, we're quite positive about that game. Do you want to put your game in? What other choice do you want to put in?
1: I would put in
0: there um,
1: Beachhead 2. Because who? Yes, because I think um, just for the dagger throwing level. You no, know, the other ones I can skip. <laughs> but, you know, it's got speech, it's got four little mini games. They're all good fun, well animated sprites. And that dagger throwing level is hilarious when you're playing that two player. So, good laugh.
0: Yeah uh that's a good good call okay so our last one i'm gonna pick tricky it is tricky sort of thing but i think i'm actually gonna go with um confusion
1: yeah good choice yeah
0: um and the, and there's a couple i could have put in tennis or fourth protocol i think fourth protocol is if we're gonna bend the rules needs to go in there too because it's something very different but i think confusion is just a really good arcade com- puzzler
1: yeah and maybe maybe we sh- maybe the rule should be that all gold medal games just go in automatically really <laughs>
0: uh Yeah, well, if they're worth it, we may not. Yeah. Accru- we didn't put elite yeah, yeah, in, did yeah.
1: we? Well, they get the golden buzzer, don't they? So they, officially, <laughs> so we, uh, you know, we have to, we have to look at them as an inclusion, as the gold, as the gold series. But yeah, um, but
0: we don't have to agree that they're any good. We like no, no, I said, okay, we didn't, no. put, we, we didn't put elite in. No,
1: no, um, no, would, exactly.
0: Um, yeah, so I, I would say the fourth protocol. So I do think it is a very, very good game. Um, I did prefer my time with Confusion. If we're going to recommend games from this issue, where the explain this Beachhead 2, Confusion, um, and Fourth Protocol, would be Zap to the Past recommendations for games from issue 4 of Zap 64, August 1985. <laughs> okay, so... Um, our last bit of business to do. Uh, we've got a few more crapverts to look at. That, five, <laughs> as, five that, aside
1: There's something very wrong about that image. It's just.
0: It's just. So our first one is five Aside football by who's this by Annie Rock.
1: Annie Rock. Uh, that looks like someone was having Photoshop training. <laughs> and... so there's
0: a there's a kids game of football going on. It's, yeah. it's actual kids. This is these are actual children. It's like the um, shittiest spot playing the ball a game ever. Of football. <laughs> so, in in let's let's break it down. So, five a side football is written in some kind of slightly italic grid line font. Yeah, I don't, know what you I call don't, it. I don't
1: even know what you call that.
0: No, it's lines Rever- um, reversed with,
1: out, italicized sans serif garbage.
0: <laughs> and then below that, there's a brick. There's a really bad brick wall, and then photoshopped onto that. And then there's a there's a green rectangle and then Photoshop's onto that it's a kid's game of football <laughs> <laughs> there's no way there's no other way of putting it someone's take a photo of a kid's game of football either from the local newspaper um, or something um you know for the under under 13s footy game or under 14s uh, and just stuck it on there <laughs> i can't what else is there then there's some screenshots of the game one of them's got the uh, the logo the, the you can see the, the visuals for the game graphics are really bad. And they've uh, also as well, I do like what they've done with five aside. Oh uh, the
1: uh the, the acrostic attempt at acrostic writing, yeah.
0: Yeah, five five sides have got fast moving characters, ideal family entertainment, voice master generated speech, exciting simulation, amazingly realistic animation, speed and skill, ingenious method of settling arguments. Uh, that, that might be a <laughs> battle to the death. <laughs> I was like go do football. <laughs> Demanding challenge at all three skill levels. Enormous fun from start to finish. Yeah,
1: it's like the worst version of DISCO I've ever heard.
0: But, and I know who that is in the picture, the sort of thing, the, the graphics in the middle of image sort of thing, there is Pele. Now, I don't think Pele was much of a five-a-side footballer. No, I mean, and I'm I, sure he was. I, and I but think, he's
1: not famous for that. Well, and, and I think if he played that five-a-side team at the top of the image, he is going to be distinctly advantaged. <laughs> you know, those kids don't, those, those nine-year-old <laughs> kids don't stand a chance against the footballer of his international reputation. <laughs> skill
0: uh, we've got a ringer in for this uh, yeah. how old is he oh, he's 12 he's yeah. well, 12 in Brazilian <laughs> he was born in a leap year
1: <laughs> on the
0: 29th of February
1: so something tells me that Annie Rog which he has got uh, probably I bet that's Annie and Roger's games or something like that or bound to be with their classic Chromium logo. Oh, and yeah. That, it's that, that image of the penalty. With the, it's, it's not so much the goalie, which is bad enough. It's the its the fans in the background who just... <laughs> I don't know what's like going being, on there.
0: They look like they're being held up at gunpoint.
1: Yes, I think that's... Uh, something tells me that that's not the greatest football game that ever was.
0: <laughs> it's not. I remember it, it was shit. <laughs> it was awful. Advert, the advert, basically, you know, the best thing about it was the uh, the kids. So that's a bad advert. Uh, our next one. Uh, so, from the greatness Melbourne House do, then we've got this uh, Starion.
1: Starion. It's honestly, Gov, it's not an elite ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move on? <laughs> Is that yeah, it? Yeah, that's just, <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's honestly, it's like so. Just imagine explaining it. So, what happens in the game? Well, you fly 3D spaceships around a 3D space universe and. At right, uh, does this, is it, does it look like anything, does it look like Elite, no?
0: No, it's a Spaceflight Epic, it it's says it's in the top right yeah, yeah, corner so in you, a really you, small font yeah. in a big square. So, so you've got white, <laughs> white,
1: white vector graphics on a plain black background with some details at the bottom, yeah. does sound a bit like Elite, no, no, this is not wow. so. I never actually played this, I don't know if it came out in the 64 at the end, I don't know, It's a spe- this oh, is don't. the Spectrum advert, I don't know if it's the, it probably did, and if it did it would be shit, because vector it graphics... Would. Vector graphics and the Commodore 64 do not go.
0: No, they don't. But it's just a bad advert. I hate the way they've included the stars and Starion. Like a massive one in the O.
1: Yeah, and look at that. Look at the Starion writing. It's got that, again, that kind of, you know... uh,
0: Yeah, the 80s style. 80s gradient.
1: Yeah, landscaped gradient with, you know... And then we've got the classic beveled border with the offset gradient, you know. you know, who hasn't, <laughs> who hasn't done that effect in Photoshop a trillion times? You know, as soon as you put a stroke on a font and stick a gradient in it, you go, wow, that looks cool. Then you go, realise you're not in 1987. So, unless whatever. you're trying to recreate that, yeah, yeah, unless you're trying to recreate it, yeah. And that star looks out of place. Yeah, oh. the
0: star in the O just makes it look like a, an anus.
1: Yeah, and the, I never liked the Melbourne house logo, but it is. I suppose it is what it is, but that game looks stupid. It
0: is. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And we, you know, we you be hard to push sometimes to find crap verbs, but and every now and again, you know, a magazine delivers. <laughs> what happened? That's <Is> it. <laughs> Ian Botham's test match. So we had the other week, we had um, uh, Tim Loves Cricket. Now we've got Ian Botham's test match. And so this advert is like a, a, a sort of not, it's not Comic Sans, but it's not far away. Ian Botham's test match in the top left sort of thing. And then there's, there's two images of Ian Botham. In the middle of this, one is a, a, a sort of shot of him playing cricket, you know, a, a, an image, a sort of illustration of him playing cricket for long. And then there's a close-up.
1: Yeah. So
0: <laughs> With... With, <laughs> with It looks like a turd on his lip. <laughs> it's, 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 it's ruby red lips at that. He's very... Yeah. He's got
1: no bottom teeth, which is weird. yeah um, <laughs> He's got a really elongated <laughs> neck and a peculiar chin chin line, and it's all his, his proportions are all wrong. To me, it looks like he's wearing eye makeup, so he's he's got his guy liner on there.
0: He really has,
1: and yes, like you say, um, he's, he's furnishing an, uh, a hairy turd on his on his <laughs> on, on his upper lip. Add to that the fact that the bridge of his nose looks like he's been ten rounds with Muhammad Ali at the time it would have been, I suppose, or Frank Bruno. <laughs> The background one looks like, uh, who was that famous sports commentator with a massive chin? Is that Jimmy Hill?
0: Jimmy Hill? Yeah, so yeah it does look like looks Jimmy, like Jimmy Hill, yeah. if
1: Jimmy Hill and Bruce Forsyth had a uh, child, <laughs> it would be that. Had, had a cricketing child. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like he's swinging a sword, not a cricket bat. <laughs> it
0: does, he looks like he's running to, to chop someone's so, head off. And that explains like why guy Ian, in the foreground.
1: That explains Ian Botham's cricket advantage, because he just beheaded anyone that got in his way. <laughs>
0: But it is a full cricket simulation with the following features
1: to make it a truly oh.
0: first-class game.
1: Yes, as, 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 that's what it's what they always do. They, if I don't say so myself, should be there in the little bracket somewhere.
0: Yep, yeah. as a scoreboard. You can place nine fieldsmen anywhere well, on
1: pitch. I hope it did. I hope it did because it's not cricket if you don't keep score. It's just people hitting the
0: ball. No, so that's. Uh... <laughs> but this <there's>, this <there's> terminology <laughs> yeah.
1: in there, this terminology I'd never heard of: a glance hook, a square cut. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Know, off, off drive. drive. Yeah, this, that's all. So, for anyone who's into cricket, you know, they're, they're going, wow, it's, if, if this game features a, a glance hook, I'm in. Oh my God, <laughs> it does, you know. You can also get caught behind. That sounds positively dangerous if you're swinging a sword. So, <laughs> yep. I'm, I would worry about being both of them. If he ever turned up, and that, because that was, no, it, <laughs> he didn't look like that. And his hair—was his hair ever orange? Did he have orange hair? I don't. I don't, I
0: don't, I don't remember him I, having that colour hair. I don't remember. Looks a lot like about him, but I can't tell as well if the expression is 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 pained or pleasured. Well, they've actually. And there's tried, a fine line between them. Well, they're, they're but... trying.
1: They're trying to capture the Ian Botham face because he did. He famously <laughs> had kind of a sneery expression before he bowled. So I'm guessing it's meant to be that. And that's as much as I know about Ian Botham. I don't know a lot about it. I'm still puzzled why it's, why it's essentially he's stood in front of a Japanese flag, but we'll, we'll put that to one side for now. I guess it's meant to be a cricket ball, but without the little divvy stripes things on it. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But it just looks like, je- you know, the fact that he's wielding a samurai sword in front of a Jap- Japanese flag tells me this game probably started off with different intentions.
0: I really don't like the font as well for the title.
1: No, stupid. Never do that. Never, Never do red drop shadow. I mean, that, that's just written. If you try and do that in Photoshop now, it actually just self-destructs. It just deletes itself from your machine. It's a bit like if you if you try if you try and do a bevel or a, or, a, or a pillow emboss, it just randomly just goes nope, and that's it. Photoshop is deleted off your computer, and you can never install it again for the rest of your life because they've marked you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a self-defense mechanism. It just prevents you from doing anything further with fonts that would terrify the world
0: oh it's a really bad advert yes <laughs> and uh if you're listening to this this will be on the website so please go have a look and have yes a they will all be on the
1: website all the crapverts are going on the website and yeah, some so... choice some choice screens from some of the games i had to screen grab the by the way for international tennis that awesome visual of the two tennis players just in their blocky massiveness so I've got a great grab of that. Oh, well, the there. tile screen. Yeah, it's it the
0: same as the international football. I know it's
1: just Basketball. I just, I just, I was like, yes, you know, I want, <laughs> I want tennis players to do that. I want them to be,
0: in all purple. Yeah, just both of them in all
1: purple. Make them wear that outfit. You know, in its blocky massiveness, and play tennis like that. Do it. The old-fashioned way, um, but there you go. That's me. Because oh, so many crapless. of these adverts are typeface and and type and font horrors that it's actually yeah. making. You know, just looking at that Ian Botham one, aside from the fact that it's got that awful typeface with a red drop shadow, ban that. You've got the Tynesoft logo, which goes from blue to red grade orange gradient on a green background, which renders red unreadable, as everyone knows. So. Yep. I don't, Never put orange on green, my boy. It renders you powerless.
0: (laughs) It really does. All right, let's uh, let's finish it. Let's wrap up. Um, we've got the charts. This is the Commodore sixty four charts. I think I might have got these from Commodore User. I think because uh, there was nothing in CMVG uh, for this month. No, didn't and, it have charts. And, uh, zap, has and it, zap,
1: zap does have its own chart, doesn't it? But it's the Zap it chart. It
0: does. Yeah, it's Zap chart. It's, it's based on reader reader yeah, likes, isn't yeah, it, yeah, rather yeah. than purchases. Absolutely. So, uh, according to Commodore User, let's let's do a, a top ten. Um, so in a, at number ten uh, it's Kickstart. Uh good number choice. nine World Series World Series Baseball. Goodness we didn't me. like that. Uh eight, Seattle Europe. Yeah. Good choice. International basketball at seven. Always good. Um Impossible Mission at six. Hasn't
1: left the chart in ages.
0: Uh, Pit Stop two at number five. Deserved. Shadow Fire at number four. Excellent. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh Sheesh. Uh, okay. Yeah. British, you know, people want to drop bombs. Uh, soft Aid at number two.
1: No, that was the multi game set, wasn't it? It yeah. is, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, you know, live Aid, stuff like that. But straight in at, we believe, probably at number one, straight in, is what should have been a gold medal. If we haven't said it enough already, <laughs> uh, is the way of the exploding fist yes yes in um, brackets our, gold medal edition uh, <laughs> our game of august 1985 well, by some just interesting margin just
1: look at that top obviously we haven't done the top 20 but just look at that top 20 in fact look at the top 10 and how many us gold games are in there they really were literally pumping yeah. games out like a like a crazy machine so well, if
0: you count the top top 20 and there's one two three four five six seven eight Eight yeah. of the top twenty of the gold game. It's crazy. I mean to be fair sort of thing, we weren't keen on World Series basketball, we weren't keen on damn busters, but we, we like eight you know, soft aid is soft aid, there's a lot of good there's a couple of bits and bobs on there that are quite good. But seven of those top ten, know, yeah, we've liked.
1: Yeah. And strangely, you know, um everyone's wally is in that chart. Yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah, number twenty.
1: Yeah, which I, is too too yeah. high. It should, yeah, um, it should, just shouldn't be.
0: Interesting enough, number fifteen is Summer Games two. We haven't had that yet. Though. This is so maybe... now.
1: This is what this is what Zap were talking about. I think because they they were saying that they some of the other magazines were starting to put in news and information and things like that about games that simply were not out or they oh, were right, oh okay. they were looking at they were getting early US versions early versions and just making out that they were out. so that might be part of that. I don't know because we've not come yeah, across any of those open. yet. So but we will.
0: No, we will. Well, yeah, we haven't. So there you go. That is issue four of ZAP64. So yeah, not not too bad. Um, you got anything you want to sort of wrap up and say around all that? So I
1: think what's the lan- the landmark here is the should have got a gold medal with exploding fist. And I think what that is, is a statement of things to come. Because as we've said in the previous episodes, they started to flex their muscles a bit. And that's the first time you see a British software company development team games production company flex its muscles on a platform and all of a sudden um it started to become and you and suddenly you took notice it's not first time it happens it starts to happen more and more and more Mm -hmm. Um, because the programmers are getting better and better and the graphic designers are starting to embrace the platform and they're they're starting to learn little tricks and little things that the the Commodore 64 can do, little um, tricks that the VIC chip that they can use to their advantage in games and as they start to embrace that and it starts to push it forward, things start to take a serious notch up and we'll start to see, so I think we'll start to see less of the games that are simply crap and we'll start to see more games that have the graphical qualities of um, Elidon, that have the playability, of way of exploding fist that have the you know the the puzzle nature of this and this confusion and this get the games that we've celebrated in this edition you're going you're to you will now start to see more of them especially as we head towards september october and we, we head towards the months towards running towards christmas we really are going to start to see you know things ramp up a notch
0: yeah we are actually sort of thing and just to say what's coming up in, in next issue is actually just backs that up completely so next issue is september uh, issue 5, September 1985. We will be looking at games like Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Uh, we will be looking at games like Summer Games 2. Um, we will be looking... We, <laughs> I might actually make us do uh, Graham Gucci's Test Cricket and Ian Botham's Test Match. Yeah, cricket off. We might have a, we might have a cricket off. I think that could be quite a laugh. Uh, we'll have a look at that. We've also got Sky Fox. Ah, um, interesting enough. Game, we've got finders keepers, finders keepers. Another good game um, as appeared. Um, and the the start of what I would say is a incredible run of games uh, from a certain uh, developer, and that is Rescue on Fractalis. Oh yes,
1: absolutely.
0: So uh, I also might make us do a golf game as well. Uh, we'll we'll have a look. Um, so we've got some interesting games for, for next issue, uh, some really big ones, some, and there's probably obviously some garbage in there as well. So we'll have a look. But um, that's it. We've, uh, we've looked at issue four, August 1985 there. Uh, go play where the Exploding Fist. It should have been a gold medal. Um, <laughs> I've been Adrian Mills.
1: I've been, should have got a gold medal. Graham Raddings.
0: <laughs> we've been where the Exploding Fist. It um, should have been a gold medal. Uh, and we'll see you uh, uh, in our next episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening
1: to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, sights, sounds, and news from around the 1980s. Driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast. So do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You'll also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time.